and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. This week we have a few pretty short stories. I thought it would be a fun change after last week's super long story. It's not quite a brevity episode, but if the brevity stories are mini Snickers, these are like those fun size Snickers. Oh, and I also have a date for you for when I will be moving to Spotify, just in time for the spookiest month of the year. On October 8th, I will officially be Spotify exclusive. Again, this has been an amazing opportunity for me. They took this creepy old soul and gave her a job. The show will be completely free. So if you don't have Spotify premium, then that's fine. You still get access to my show every single week like you do now. The only difference is that I won't be trying to work multiple jobs, getting screamed at and body shamed on multiple movie and TV sets, or crying myself to sleep at night when I can't have a new episode for you because I'm desperately trying to pay my bills. (laughs) That's right. No more weeks off of the show. You get me 52 weeks of the year because Spotify seriously took a chance on me and said, give that girl a full-time job doing what she loves. Now, let's get on with the show. I'm currently roasting some tomatoes in my oven for pasta, and I am so excited to get to it. You know, sometimes I wish I could bring you all over for dinner. Cooking is how I show love, and I just want to spread the love to you. We could chat while I chop and stir and season. You can just sit and have some tea and relax. Doesn't that sound nice? (sighs) A girl can dream. On to the stories. Do I have any crafters out there listening? Do you like to knit or cross-stitch or make candles, maybe? Great! This story is here to make you look over your shoulder every time you settle in to start your favorite activity. You're welcome. This is Don't Look by Jay Bowden. Foundation chain, chain four, slip stitch into a circle, don't look, don't look. Chain three, double crochet times three, chain two, repeat three more times. Don't look. You looked, didn't you? deny. New color. Chain three. Double crochet times three. Chain one. Double crochet times three. If I don't look, it can't see me. Keep working. Don't stop. My album ends. Soft acoustic guitar gives way to heavy breathing. That isn't mine. Chain one, double crochet times three. Don't look. I can't look. With shaking hands, painfully sore fingers, I keep weaving the yarn in my endless project. Chain one, double crochet times three. How many stitches? until it leaves me be. Can I look yet? My fingers ache. Every stitch makes them crack and crunch like I've worn them to the bone. 
The heavy breathing ceases. My cats meow, demanding food. I can look again. I can't look. Fit the eight of cloth into the embroidery ring. Focus on your work. I consult my pattern. My podcast app isn't working. I have to work in silence. Except it isn't silent. I can only hear the breathing. It's closer now. I can feel it on my neck. It's cold. Inhuman. What is it? Oh god. What the hell is it? Embroidery floss. Blanc. The blinding white stands out starkly against the antique white tone of the cloth. I thread the blunted tapestry needle, even as my fingers scream in pain. I take a chance and flex my fingers once, making them crack. They hurt. I've paused for too long. The breath is closer now. My senses shriek like the thing is standing at my back, inches away. Don't look. Whatever you do. I count squares from the middle of the eight o'clock and I find my place. I thread from the back and stitch in a diagonal. The breathing stills, but I can't stop. In through the other side, down one and out again, forming an X, repeat for ten stitches. My fingers tremble with pain. I need to stop, but I can't. I can't. The breaths tickle through my hair like an icy wind. Did I stop? I can't remember. When did I start crying? Where did these frightened tears come from? Embroidery floss 762, light gray. Will I live to finish this project? I have to keep working. Stitch. After painful stitch, I don't dare pause, not even to find some kind of background noise to drown it out. The cats hide under the bed and don't come out, not when the thing has come for me again. Keep working. Don't look. I measure the depth of the mason jar. Clear, heat-proof glass. I take the measurement and match it against the wax-coated wick, and I cut it at the appropriate height. On the stove, my double boiler is filled to the top with white wax and a glossy film of jasmine-scented fragrance oil. The change in position has confused the thing. I can see it in my periphery. It's standing in my craft room and staring down at my empty chair. Will I escape this time? Can I ever escape? The candle making is a reprieve. My fingers can rest. Creams and arthritis gloves stole the ache. But it's not enough. It's never 
enough. It exhales. A rattling, slow sigh, like some sort of wraith out of a movie. It's barely audible over the banter of my true crime podcast. The double boiler rattles as the water heats up. The strong jasmine scent makes my nose itch. As the wax melts into a clear pool, I add a tiny red wax chip. It blooms outwards, tinting the wax a dark pink that will soften and shade once it hardens. The thing sees me. I hesitate for too long and it drifts soundlessly out of my craft room and into the kitchen. It thinks it has me. It reaches out, long, spindly fingers like the legs of a spider. It exhales. Putrid, rattling breath touches my cheek, and I resist the urge to gag. Keep working. Don't look. I pour a trickle of hot wax into the jar, just enough to coat the bottom. I use a popsicle stick to center the wax. My fingers shudder in protest to their use. The thing freezes. I watch and wait. The clear wax hardening into a soft baby pink. I trickle in a little more wax. It melts the center and the wick moves more freely. I twist the end of the wick around the popsicle stick to keep it center. The cracks in the wick don't matter so much. They'll be hidden by the wax once I finish the candle. The thing exhales. Almost in frustration, while I fix my gaze unblinkingly upon the candle. The edges fade to solid first, while the middle is still hot liquid. The breathing stills. Was that me? Or it? Is it gone? Am I free? I chance a glance up. And I scream. I looked. Did you happen to catch that cameo by the fabulous Whitney and Katie of True Crime Campfire? Their show is fantastic. So well-researched. You'll love it. Again, that's True Crime Campfire. Wherever you get your podcasts, they're they're currently doing a multi-part series on the murder of Lacey Peterson. So check it out. Next up, we have one of two stories sent in by listener Ricardo Hernandez. Now, these aren't by Ricardo. They're from a Creative Commons creepypasta site, and I know I don't usually do creepypasta, but these were fun, and I think you're going to like them. This one is called The Puppet. It was a marionette, I think. It had a big head, 
The face was made of wrinkly, flesh-colored rubber. The eyes were gigantic, bulging white orbs with red pupils. The hair was black, made of some hard substance that didn't mesh with the rubbery head. The teeth were gigantic, pure white and capable of moving up and down. The body and limbs were wooden, painted to resemble clothes. But the paint was faded. You could see the wood's natural brown in some places. Each arm and leg were a different length, but the hands and feet were pretty detailed. It made a loud clattering sound whenever it moved. That puppet followed me. I don't mean it got up and chased me. I mean it kept showing up in my life. My earliest memory of it is from my first birthday. I obviously don't remember the full details of that day, but I remember my parents singing happy birthday. And that puppet. I don't know what it was there for. I just remember it scared me to death and I couldn't stop crying. When I was able to talk, I asked my parents about it. They said nothing like that had happened on my first birthday. They must have thought lying about it would make things easier for me. The next time I saw it, I was around three. I was exploring a room filled with old stuff my parents had stored away, and I found a calendar, but I don't remember the year. There was a photo for each month, but the only one I remember was October. That puppet was the image for it. I got scared and ran out of the room. I told my mom and tried to show her the calendar so she'd know the puppet was real, but I couldn't find it. The room had been very messy, and I had ran out of it so quickly I knocked over piles of stuff. I guess the calendar got buried. I was six when it happened again. It was the middle of the night. I woke up from a nightmare I can't remember the details of. I was too scared to go back to sleep, so... I went into the living room and turned on the TV. An old black and white show on Nick at Night was ending, and when the commercial started, that puppet came on. It was dancing while loud music played. I screamed and started crying uncontrollably, but by the time my parents got downstairs, the puppet was gone. I didn't see the puppet again for a while after that, but I kept having nightmares about it. When I was 15, I decided to try to track it down, using the internet to try to find information about the calendar, the short, anything. No one had ever heard of it. But one day, I got an instant message from someone I had never talked to. Their screen name was a random mashup of letters and numbers, but their avatar was a picture of the puppet. They IM'd me glad that you still remember me, then immediately signed off. They never contacted me or came online again. When I was 20, I was walking by a store that sold old toys and dolls, and in the front window, I saw the puppet. I went inside and asked the clerk if he knew anything about the puppet's history, when it was made, where it was from, anything. He didn't 
He said the puppet had just been sold to the store a few days ago. I could have it for six dollars. I wasn't sure what to do. It still scared me, but having proof that it really existed seemed like a good idea. I bought the puppet and took it home. For a while, I felt better. I viewed the puppet as a childhood fear I had overcome as an adult, and even started to believe the explanations my parents had given me for the past appearances. I saw it somewhere else as a baby, I imagined the calendar, dreamed the TV short, and someone online who had played a trick on me. I kept the puppet, but as I moved on in my life, I pretty much forgot about it. I finished college, got married, and my wife should be giving birth in a few weeks. I was cleaning up a room for when the baby comes and found the puppet, dusty and abandoned. I didn't want my kid seeing it when he was little, so I picked it up and decided I might as well wipe the dust off before moving it to another place. When I dusted it, I noticed a faded inscription on the back. This is what he'll look like. Before I could figure out what this meant, I heard my wife starting to cry. I rushed to her. She looked more upset than I had ever seen her. Sobbing, she told me that the doctor had just called. There was a problem with the baby. Next up is new author to the show, Kenny Toll. They sent in so many great stories. I'm really eager for you to hear their work, and I picked two for this week. So buckle up. This first one is Route 72. I see her on the horizon. She is silhouetted against the lowering sun. A light breeze dances her fire-tinted hair over her shoulders. She laughs and calls to me. Micah, come to me. I try to call back. Try to tell her that I'm right there. Try to tell her to wait for me. But no sound comes out. It's as if my vocal cords have paralyzed. I try to run to her, but it's too late. The sun is down, and she is gone. Clouds flow over the hills like someone has strewn a white quilt over the earth. I look at my feet and see the grass, which has whipped to a frenzy in the summer wind, has cut my ankles to the bone. My blood seeps into the cold ground and feeds the flowers. A bump in the road, and I'm awake. It's dark. I don't know if it's late or early. To be honest, I'm not really sure where I am. The days bleed into nights. The weeks bleed to months. All that bleeding has left me lightheaded and confused. I'm in the front of a truck. 
a semi. The dry, stale smell of cigarettes permeates the faux leather seats. I'm clutching something. A necklace. Her necklace. There is still a bit of blood on the chain. It calms me. Makes me remember that it's hers. You're awake. Might as well be of some goddamned use. Open the glove compartment and hand me a smoke. I look to my left. A burly man with a ragged beard and a long sleeve flannel is driving. I don't remember who he is. I don't remember getting into this truck. Wake the fuck up and hand me a smoke! I fumble the latch and the compartment opens up, spilling the contents into my lap. A map, leather gloves, a seven-inch hunting knife in a leather sheath, thank God, and a pack of Marlboro Hundreds. I grab the cigarettes and hand him one. There are two things in life worth killing over. Fresh pussy and the last cigarette in a pack. He cackles with laughter and turns to me. The dark briefly bursts into a bright yellow glow as he lights his cigarette. What's the matter with you? He barks. I'm sorry. I can't remember how I came to be here with you. The last thing I remember before I can finish, he cuts me off. The last thing you remember is sleeping at the bus station? Well, for the love of Christ, what do you expect me to do? Leave you there? I'm a man of character. Don't you agree? He waits for me to respond. Don't you agree? He screams. Yes. I say. Damn right. Saw you lying there. So vulnerable. So... Weak. Like a little peach. Bruised peach. Too damn sweet to leave you there. So? Plucked you up. He smiled at me. I noticed that his left front tooth was missing. Baseball cap was pulled low over his face. But I could see a subtle glint of yellow in his eyes. So, boy. What are you running from? He said to me after a while. The terror and utter hopelessness that I felt had left me speechless, paralyzed my vocal cords. But the way he asked me seemed as if he knew. Troubles, I say to him. Oh, Mr. Mysterious. I like that. It's like a game. Sweet boy on the run. Won't tell Papa Eli the truth. But I'm good at puzzles. You ever finished the Thursday crossword? I stare ahead. Don't let him smell your fear. It's the hardest. You know, behind Saturday and Friday. I finished it once. Well, obviously you're running from... Hmm. Your parents? No. Too easy. That's a Tuesday crossword clue. No, you're running from... A girlfriend. I squeeze the necklace. 
I rub the chain and hope that some of the blood will rub into my fingers and will dissolve into my sweat, making her and I one. Nope, God damn it! Now, why on earth would you be running from a girl? More like you're running to a girl, but I don't buy that either. You're too damn skinny, too damn worried. No, you're definitely running from something. He places his hand on my knee. It's okay. I won't bite. I'm not the pigs. I'm not gonna lock you up. You were safe with me. Papa Eli takes care of his lambs. You want some cocaine? He squeezes my knee. My blood pressure has risen to cardiac arrest levels, but somehow I'm still breathing. No, thank you. I say, smart boy. He rubs my leg. Innocent boy. He draws his cigarette and hacks three times. (coughs) Smart, cute boy on the run. What'd you do? Forget her birthday. Had to run as far as possible. (laughs) He laughs. I'm just kidding. You knock her up? The moon illuminates what looks like a crowd of frocked priests in the field, all staring at me, judging me. It takes me a second to realize they're just cows drawn to the sound of the truck. No. No. Of course not. I could smell the virginity reeking from you. No. It's worse than that. I hear her say to me, but my voice is paralyzed. I try to move, but she's gone. Was she quiet? I stare at the man. Was she quiet when she died? The tears begin to fall from my eyes. I don't want to show any emotion to him, but nonetheless, they fall. I... I couldn't help myself. (laughs) Don't cry, he says, and squeezes my knee harder. It's always hard the first time. I stare at him. The real joy comes after the fifth or sixth. Trust me. He takes a cigarette, lights it, and hands it to me. It's good to have friends, he says to me and laughs. I begin to laugh too. It's a good thing I found you. He releases my knee and grabs my hand. I return his grasp. For the first time in a long time, I feel safe. We drive in silence, holding hands until the sun begins to rise. Against the morning light, I swear I see her red hair dancing in silhouette. Our fourth story of the night is the other story sent in by Ricardo Hernandez. This is Marionettes.
It was the eighth year anniversary of my brother's disappearance. My parents, as usual, sat by the fireplace, mindlessly rocking back and forth in their rapidly deteriorating redwood chairs, wallowing in their never-ending sorrow. I could never understand why people bothered commemorating such devastating events. It always seemed like such a waste of emotions to me. But, in spite of their pain, day after day, they took blame for what happened, encasing themselves within a makeshift tomb constructed of past regrets. Why did we let him go? Are we bad parents? Was it our fault? I knew, though I desperately wanted to disprove it, that most of the blame befell upon me. I was supposed to watch him that faithful night, the night of that accursed show. I was granted the temporary responsibility of being his caretaker, and I had failed miserably. I yearned for the chance to relive that night. Maybe I could have kept a better eye on him or held his hand so he wouldn't get lost. The tragedy of losing a relative at the age of ten isn't something you forget, but, at the risk of sounding egotistic, it's not something I want to reminisce, either. Despite how much it pained me, however, I wanted to learn the truth. I wanted answers to my parents' unending questions, questions that forced tightened cuffs upon their psyche trapping them within their mental prisons. That moment came when I received word that the same puppet show that caused our burdens would be returning to town. I would finally receive my answers. Being the ripe age of 18, I had no problems acquiring a ticket to the show on my own. I decided against notifying my parents of my whereabouts, knowing that if I told them, they would forbid me to go. It was just as I remembered. The building for the performance was decayed and putrescent. Its walls were stripped of most of its paint and vibrant green vines lengthened along its sides. The inside, however, was the complete opposite. The walls were adorned with red and black colored wallpaper. Posters and stringed lights decorated the room. Small chairs gathered around a large wooden stage draped with scarlet red curtains. It was like walking into an old abandoned building, only to be greeted with a beautiful oasis. The show wouldn't begin for another 30 minutes, although many were already arriving. I took my seat in the far back and waited patiently for the show to begin. Aside from a few subtle changes and the addition of new puppets, it was the same show I'd experienced in my childhood. My eyes swelled up with tears at the thought of my brother. I found it difficult to focus on the show any longer. Just as I was ready to make my departure, one of the puppets caught my eye. It had soft, curly brown hair and eyes that shimmered with the brightest pools of blue. It had an uncanny resemblance to my brother, a carbon copy of how he looked right before his kidnapping. It even bore the same clothing as he, jean overalls draped over a white shirt. I was dumbfounded. It had to be a coincidence. Rapid thoughts flashed through my mind like 
multiple bolts of lightning striking all at once. Could this man, this puppeteer, be the one behind my brother's disappearance? I needed to find proof of my disquieting discovery before pointing blame. I waited for the show to end, and while he was distracted with autographs, I stealthily snuck away to his dressing room. I was surprised to find the door unlocked. I cautiously twisted the knob in my trembling fist, my heartbeat steadily increasing as I ascended into the room. Silhouettes of marionettes hung from the ceiling and sat among the many shelves the room held. A sliver of light beaming from the hallway illuminated the room only slightly. I trailed my fingers along the wall in search of a light source, my hand eventually coming in contact with one. I flicked the switch, only to be greeted with the most haunting display. My stupefied gaze was met not with the sight of marionettes, but with children. Children who were reported missing from neighboring towns and cities, all gathered together to partake in the puppeteer's demented puppet show. Many of their limbs had been amputated and stitched back into place, eyes gouged out of their sockets and placed into jars, soaking in an unknown liquid, their mouths cut to their ears and sewn shut. Drips of dried blood leaked from their orifices. Some had their heads decapitated from their bodies and attached to that of a doll's. I swallowed hard, forcing down the vomit that erupted from the pits of my stomach. I stared, awestruck at the hellish sight I was now witnessing. The ability to move had left me. I heard footsteps quickly approaching my location. I spun around only to have my eyes meet with the puppeteers. He was holding my brother, or what was left of him. I wasted no time in sprinting away as fast as I could. I was relieved to hear the absence of steps behind me. As soon as I arrived home, I called the police. My parents, noticing how frantic I was, kept questioning if I was okay, but I couldn't answer them. The police arrived about a half hour later. I was too distraught to give a detailed statement, but told them as much as I could. Three days later, they were able to capture and apprehend the puppeteer. The remains of the children were all returned to their families and allowed a proper burial. The puppeteer was given the death sentence for his crimes, scheduled to take place within the next 20 years. As of late, word had gotten out of his escape from prison. Somehow, before escaping, he managed to write out my name on the cell walls with his own blood. No one knows how he learned my name. I opted to stay anonymous for the duration of the trial and did not appear in person. The cops guessed he was able to get a hold of the police records and recognize my picture from my encounter with him. If that's the case, then my faith is now entrusted in the protective agency and the reassurance that our location was well hidden. I just hope it stays that way. And our last story of tonight is also by Kenny Toll. 
This one is called The Fortunate. It was Sunday night, and David and Margaret Bloom drove to their favorite local restaurant, The Purple Dragon, located just off Sycamore Exit on I-206. The Purple Dragon was your run-of-the-mill Chinese restaurant. Tasty dishes, overly packed into little white-to-go boxes with metal handles. You could order your favorites. Chicken fried rice, Mongolian beef, sweet and sour shrimp, General Tso's chicken, and always know that your dish would end with lychee slices and a fortune cookie. David and Margaret had been coming here every Sunday night for 15 years. They knew the staff as an extended family. They were welcomed each week with a complimentary glass of Chardonnay, and as always, extra fortune cookies. David loved those things. Those little wafers wrapped around a little piece of paper bearing a few words of wisdom and maybe some lucky numbers. David and Margaret had a little joke they would play with each other. David would crack the cookie and read the fortune. You know, love, tomorrow we should be wise with our money. Oh, you think? Margaret would say. You know, love, treat every day like your last. Aren't you the smart one? Margaret would say, and they would laugh, and David would eat his cookie. This week was much the same, except today was a special day. It was Margaret's birthday, 64 years old. It wasn't often that either of their birthdays fell on a Sunday, so they made sure to tell the staff of the special occasion. And it should be noted just how much the staff went out of their way to give the Blooms a good time. Free wine, extra dishes, and as always, a handful of fortune cookies. As the night wound down and the bill was brought, David and Margaret cracked their cookies. You know, love, David started as usual. But then he stopped, staring at his fortune. Well, Margaret prompted, don't go to sleep. David read. Is that it? Margaret asked. David flipped the fortune. Yeah, that that's it. I, I didn't even get any lucky numbers. That's weird. What does yours say? Margaret uncurled her fortune and read. Lock the doors. Well, that's certainly unsettling, David said. He flagged down Jill, the waitress. Jill, do you make the fortune cookies? No, we order them in wholesale from a nearby distributor. Why do you ask? Uh, Well, no reason, David replied. He pocketed the rest of the cookies, put away his credit card, and left. Margaret drove as David sat, trying not to be too spooked from the unexpected end to their dinner. Out of curiosity, David pulled another cookie from his pocket and opened it. What are you doing? Margaret asked. Just wait, David said. He cracked the cookie and read. Stop the car, David read. What are you talking about? That's what the fortune says. Stop the car. Margaret pulled up to the stop sign and pulled the emergency brake. 
All right. I'm stopped. They waited for about ten seconds. Then, from the left side, a four-seat flatbed truck came careening down the hill, flew past the stop sign, and crashed into the wall on the other side of the street. Exactly where their car would have been had they not stopped. The truck flipped onto its side. Oh my god! We could have been killed! Margaret said. If we hadn't stopped, we would have been killed. Goddamn drunk drivers! David didn't respond. He just stared at the fortune. It warned us. Fortune warned us. Don't be ridiculous, Margaret said. What do you mean? The Fortune said stop the car, and we stopped the car. Now we're alive, when we might have been dead. As David continued staring at the Fortune, trying to think of an explanation, Margaret noticed the driver of the truck was crawling out of the slightly crushed door. He was carrying what looked like a gun. Oh my god, Margaret said. Lock the doors! Lock the doors! The truck driver began to walk toward them. David locked his door. Margaret floored the pedal. The engine roared, but the car didn't move. She gunned the accelerator again, but the car still didn't go anywhere. It wasn't until smoke began rising from the hood that she remembered that she had pulled the emergency brake. The driver was now standing in front of the Bloom's car. He was bloody and staggering. What do we do? What do we do? Margaret cried. David, still in disbelief as to what was happening, cracked another cookie. It said, A-B positive. The truck driver was standing at Margaret's side of the car. He banged the gun on the window. Get out! He shouted. Margaret screamed and tried to bury herself in David in some half-attempt to hide herself from the man. Get out! He screamed and used the butt of the gun to break the window. You leave her alone! David screamed. The man grabbed Margaret by her hair and pulled her from the car and threw her on the ground. David opened the door and ran to her. From behind... He saw the man undo the emergency brake and peel away. He looked at Margaret and saw that her neck had been cut on the glass of the window. She was bleeding profusely and began to lose consciousness. David, she said. Dave, don't go to sleep, he said to her. Stay with me. Don't go to sleep. He pulled out his phone and called an ambulance. He held her neck desperately, trying to keep the blood in. Finally, the ambulance arrived. The EMTs took Margaret onto a gurney, wrapped her neck, and began asking David questions. What's her name? How did this happen? What's her blood type? Her name is Margaret Bloom, and a man crashed his truck, broke our window, and dragged Margaret out. She cut her neck on the window. I don't know her goddamn blood type. Then it hit him. Wait. 
AB positive, he said. Her blood type is AB positive. David sat there in shock. It all seemed to happen in slow motion as they tried to revive his wife. It was then that he felt something on his thigh. One last fortune cookie. He pulled it from his pocket, removed the wrapping, and read it. A smile can go a long way. Lucky numbers, 2, 21, 16, 4. Margaret didn't survive the night. The doctors realized too late that her blood type was in fact B negative. Thanks for listening. Thank you to all my authors and to Whitney and Katie of True Crime Campfire for allowing me to use their audio from their show. If you have a story you'd like turned into a bedtime audio experience, send it in to scareyoutosleep at gmail.com to be considered. I am also opening up submissions for kids' stories for our annual Halloween kids episode. So if your child, student, or family member under the age of 13 has a story they'd like to send in, then you can also send it to scareyoutosleep at gmail.com. Just specify that it's for the kids episode and let me know how you'd like me to credit your child and what their age is. I can do first name only or first name and last initial, whatever you're comfortable with. You can even make up a name like unicorn person. Um, Just let me know. Remember to follow the show on Twitter, Tumblr, Reddit, Instagram, and join the Facebook page for weekly discussion threads for each episode. You have a theory. If you want to talk to the authors, a lot of times the authors are up in the mix, just, you know, answering questions and things. If you have a question for me about the sound or different things, if you didn't hear me correctly or something for an episode, just pop on in. Um, that's just go to the Facebook page. Um, there's, oh, sorry. It's, there's a page, but there's also a group. I'm actually talking about the group. Um, if you're, if it's asking you to answer questions, you're in the right place. If it's asking you, I think my, our two questions are, uh, how did you hear about this show and what is scary to sleep? And those are just to weed out, you know, bots and people selling things, um, for Rosemary and I to know if you're human and if you're there for the right reasons. Did anybody ever watch The Bachelor? I did for like a second. Um, No. Go drink some water. You and I both know you haven't had enough today. Go get some sleep and sweet dreams.